Welcome to City Stories, the podcast by Energy Cities. I'm Miriam Eisenman and I'm your host. This podcast is for those who want to learn how cities go about with the energy transition, how they take action with courage and creativity. For this episode, we met Chris Rettos, who is a driving force of the social cooperative Electra Energy in Greece. Chris has big plans to join forces with the local government of Iliupoli. Iliupoli is a suburban municipality in the Athens area, which counts 80,000 residents. Chris and his peer in the local government, Thanos Katsonis, are just about to kickstart a community power organization in the area, and they will work collaboratively to increase the number of prosumers in Greece and, who knows, to bring other good things to the local community. Chris tells us how they push for citizen energy culture and the steps necessary to achieve this. Hey Chris, Kalimera and welcome to City Stories. Can you please quickly introduce yourself and share a little bit about your respective, well, your role actually, um, because Thanos couldn't be with us unfortunately today. Hello and good morning. It's really nice to be with you today. Um, so I am a community outreach manager at Electra Energy Cooperative, which is a social enterprise based in Athens, Greece. It was founded in 2016. And basically what it does is that it actively promotes the um, uh, engagement of citizens, SMEs, municipalities and other organizations in the energy transition. Um, so what we're, uh, why we're gathered here today, mm -hmm. well, we would be uh, with Thanos as well, is uh, to discuss how the municipality of Iliupolis, where Thanos is um, uh, at, at the top leading role next to the mayor, how can it uh, create an energy community and how it can uh, yeah, basically produce its own energy. Okay, nice. Yeah, because uh, just for the background, actually, you participated together with Thanos um, in the ECF Collaboration Lab that we organized a few weeks ago. And you did so because you wanted to start this uh, joint uh, energy community together with the city of uh, Iliupoli. Um, what triggered the idea actually to team up with the local government and what specific plans do you have for this collaboration? Um, yeah, I, first of all, just to say that uh, the workshop was actually very fruitful and I highly recommend to any, anyone listening to uh, partake in such a workshop in the future because it really brings together different stakeholders and gets them into thinking how to uh, implement practical action. Um, but yeah, so uh, we do that a lot. To answer your question, we do that a lot with uh, Electra Energy. We work with municipalities to get them to create energy communities, exactly because they're such a perfect candidate. They have such mm -hmm. um, so much available rooftop space uh, in schools, in other municipal buildings, which is underutilized, whereas they could be installing solar panels and then they could be using the energy produced in the context of an energy community first of all, to cover the energy needs of the building itself, but then to also transfer part of the energy to other members of the energy community and to even give free energy to energy vulnerable households uh, in the vicinity of the municipality. And this is something very important as um, there's uh, thousands and thousands of uh, people that are facing energy poverty in Greece, in, uh, mm -hmm. in big cities. So thanks for, I'm really happy to hear that the Collaboration Lab was so fruitful for you. And um, just as a reminder, you met with Mireya and Anik from the city of Besançon and Mireya from uh, Opal Nat 
uh, énergie naturelle. So it's great to hear that this was uh, something that um, was useful for you. Um, your cooperative, Chris, supports um, an energy community that already exists called Hyperion. What, what is this about or how does this um, uh, combine with the energy community that you will create with Iliupoli or will the city just step into this uh, existing Hyperion community? Um, no, the city will make its own energy community, but um, the way that these things combine is that um, uh, so we we try to replicate a lot the model of operation that Hyperion utilizes, which is the following. So basically, we don't install the solar panels on. Um, uh, so okay, so let's take a step back. We're 32 members. We're all based in Athens, mm -hmm. um, coming from very different backgrounds: lawyers, accountants, students, uh, and so on. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is because many of us don't have available rooftop space in our uh, on our households because we live in blocks of flats and often oftentimes it's very hard to um, you know um, take coordinate with other mm -hmm. yeah, yeah with other renters and collaboratively take the decision. So what we're doing is in, we're installing a collective solar park somewhere um, at like a somewhere far away, let's say uh, on the outskirts of Athens where there's available space, available land. And then through the model of virtual net metering, what happens is that the um, land that is produced on the site is fed into the grid. And then the distributor that we work with, uh, the energy provider that we work with, calculates how much energy each of us has produced in the solar park every month, then compares that with how much we've consumed in our houses, And then basically we only have to pay for the difference. So this is collective self-consumption through virtual net metering. Um, now, what, where the municipality comes in and how we replicate that model with the municipality is how I explained before, is land is such a key asset in cities. It's like such a, a limiting factor. But because mm -hmm. uh, municipalities have a lot of uh, plenty available rooftop space, we can be uh, implementing that model of collective self-consumption through virtual net metering, but by using the rooftop spaces of the municipalities. I think that's also one of the advantages in Greece that you are able to do ne virtual net metering for quite a while already. I remember when I interviewed Dimos Ispikoudis from the city of Komotini, um, which was last year. He talked about virtual net metering um, being possible since 2018 i think and being a real change maker in in the in the renewables landscape in in greece so um it's it's nice to hear that you managed to to work with this model and actually demos already also said so as i said he he's um he oversees energy matters at the local government of komotini and when i talked to him he so he was quite positive around this uh, legislative framework, but he also said that one of the biggest challenges to renewable projects uh, from the local authority side was the lack of financial and human resources. Are you aware, I mean, you, Chris, you're not directly working in a local government, but you work quite a lot with local governments. Is that a concern that you share? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, having spoken a lot with Thanos from uh, the city of Iliopolis, that's something that immediately, even through the workshop uh, hosted by Energy Cities, it's something that came up repeatedly. Whereas he told us that, you know, there's all of these open EU calls for funding, Horizon programs, life programs, other um, initiatives. And uh, people are like so understaffed that mm -hmm. there's no one there to actually be able to hunt 
hunt down these proposals and make applications. So oftentimes, although uh, a municipality could very well be eligible and be, be willing to make an application, there's no one there to do it. Um, so then, of course, this also creates a lack of um, funding at the end of the day, because if you try to implement, uh, let's say, yeah, a far-reaching uh, solar installation project on rooftops, this can be quite expensive if there's no support from an EU grant or an EU program. So then, you know, this is kind of a vicious circle where you end up not being available to uh, implement this project. I see. Yeah, yeah. So there, there needs to be more technical assistance, I think, and and really capacity building in those um, municipalities. Hopefully, that that will change quite soon. Yeah, and yeah. and this is sorry to interrupt. This is something we try to do as Electra Energy to come up to come in as intermediaries and say, you know, we have the expertise of where to find these proposals, uh, helping you draft the application, talk through what is the kind of business plan and what is the strategic plan that you have and how we can integrate that into the existing plans uh, of the municipality, you know, through the the plans of the Covenant of Mayors and other uh, mm -hmm. energy and climate plans that they might already have. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that's where we see to which extent cooperatives and local governments can be um, complementary, right? You you bring in the skills, most probably, and they would bring in the leadership and um, kind of the, the driving force that can uh, allow, well, the different local stakeholders to really come together around a, a common project and a common vision for the city. Um, and, and exactly when we talk about um, the cooperative and the people behind in Europe, what, what we see is that actually people who get involved in renewable energy production usually have one typical profile. They're rather high-income, well-educated citizens. Uh, I don't know what, what is the profile in your cooperative, um, but do you have an idea on how we can go beyond these usual suspects? I'm, I'm already asking this question because I, I checked again on the, um, on the collaboration plan that you've developed um, during the lab. And I saw that one of the things you put in the part on what needs to be changed is a change about mentality, about uh, community involvement and change of values and priorities and civic engagement. So to me, this sounds like Not not too many people yet are are really probably aware and really motivated to get engaged in this type of cooperative. Yeah, I think um, yeah. Personally, in our energy community, Hyperion Energy Community, we do tend to fall within those stereotypes that you described. That we are uh, kind of mostly middle class, uh, university educated people. Um, But we are aware of this and we do, we are actively trying to deconstruct it. However, uh, linking it back to the municipality uh, and kind of the broader change in mentality and, and speaking with people on the ground, I think, th I think this is another opportunity when you're collaborating with the municipality that you can, you already have the structure in place and you already have the channels in place to get, you know, door to door or organize info days and just really reach, um, all uh, parts of society, of local society, and just try to use the channels of communication of the, of the municipality. Because the municipality already has, for example, lists um, of, um, let's say, like registries of all the mm -hmm. people that are, for example, um, below the poverty line. So, mm -hmm. you know, they are uh, in greater need of um, access to free or cheaper electricity. So... Already there, you know, we can see that synergy of how can we really reach the people that really need this and um, not only educate them, but also be educated ourselves about, you know, what are the actual needs that they have and how can we best 
develop tools uh, that respond to their uh, actual on-the-ground uh, lived realities. I'm quite sure that the uh, available resources at the local government level might not necessarily be really skilled people, but as you say, I mean, they, they are in, in close contact, um, especially with vulnerable people. And this is a group that uh, definitely needs to get access also to renewable energy production. And I think if I'm not wrong, this is also one of your objectives to make sure that this um, future or upcoming energy community is something that is really available to everybody and that even people um, with low incomes can, can participate in, in a way or another. Yeah, exactly. And um, we we will definitely try, for example, through the, this municipality of the city of Heliopolis to include, uh, to provide free electricity to energy poor households. And uh, in going back to the question about how do we reach different stakeholders, another thing is, for example, yeah, if you install solar panels on um, school rooftops, then you can mm -hmm. collaborate with a local school board or the, you know, like parent board and, and use this as almost like an educational or a pedagogical tool and bring in kids there and explain, you know, what is this process and link it to the wider context of climate change and energy poverty and in, in simple terms. But, you know, like mm -hmm. use it as a, a pedagogical tool or even collaborate with local uh, SMEs and other cooperatives that are operating in the the vicinity of the municipality and say, how can we best support you? How can you be part of this energy community to not only reduce your energy costs, but also, uh, I don't know, let's say partnering up with a local uh, agricultural um, cooperative mm -hmm. and saying we're going to be uh, on not only providing free electricity to energy poor households, but also giving them, I don't know, some uh, products, some like fair trade organic products that you're mm -hmm. producing. Mm -hmm. So it's it's about creating a community at the end of the day. You don't just stop at producing energy. You go well beyond that and you're trying to form new bonds and get get people to know each other and to start helping each other in, and, and engaging in these acts of solidarity beyond just energy. And this is this speaks back to what you said about cultivating a new mentality. Mm. You the very first thing you do with an energy community is you start producing energy, but then you really dig deeper and deeper and you start to form a community. And I think that's the most important thing because anyone these days can produce clean energy, but then uh, going deeper and challenging the socioeconomic relations, you know, the community mm -hmm. relations and, and trying to create something, uh, a model of cooperation as opposed to competition. I think mm -hmm. that's where you really can dig deeper with an energy community. There, there are so many opportunities. I'm really looking forward to see how this will, will unfold. And I, I have the feeling that even at national level, there is this recognition already uh, around the, the potential for renewable energy. At the recent COP26 in Glasgow, global leaders agreed on phasing down coal production and Greece is already on, on its way, I think. And there is a, quite a quite an important target around uh, self-consumption. I read something uh, of one gigawatt objective um, by 2030, I think, for the country. So this will certainly happen through quite a lot of large-scale plans, but hopefully also many smaller or medium-sized plans like the ones that you're 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 pushing um so so this is the legal legal frame but what what type of support schemes come with that do you get any help from the national government in terms of um well either financial or um we were talking about capacity building are there training opportunities or things like this that can that are being offered to to local players 
Yeah, so uh, first of all, uh, Greece was the first EU country to have a law on energy communities all the way back in 2018, which responds quite well to the Clean Energy for All Europeans package of directives uh, by the EU in 2018. Um, it, it creates a very progressive framework that um, yeah, recognizes energy communities, allows, allows them to utilize a virtual net metering, um, it contextualizes energy communities as a key player of the energy transition but also as a player of the social and solidarity economy and as a tool to tackle energy poverty. So they, they are given kind of this um, uh, institutional, in a way, recognition. It's, it's quite important. It's a institutional legitimization, if you, if you will allow mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then basically they are given a lot of um, uh, incentives, like for, like for example, uh, feed-in tariffs, uh, priority access to the grid, um yeah like they are exempt from other uh, i don't know certain other fees and costs so the, they are there are some quite like important economic incentives uh, one thing that's definitely missing is that there's no like seed capital seed grants that allow mm-hmm. for a com- community you know to to get up on its feet and start operating which is quite important as we're seeing from other countries like scotland where they do have these uh, sort of initiatives um but they are uh, energy communities are more and more um, discursively framed as a key player of this transition. And this is important. And I do think that as Electra Energy, we have played a role in this. We have gotten mm-hmm. big players, even political parties, to be talking about uh, about this. And we have heard that, um, especially not-for-profit energy communities, will be used. There, there, there will be given grants to municipalities to implement this model that I was just describing that we want to do with Iliopolis. So installing solar panels on rooftops, creating an energy community, and then using the generated energy to provide free electricity to energy poor households. So, mm-hmm. yeah, as I said, linking energy communities with tackling energy poverty. And another thing is that a big discussion now is including not-for-profit energy communities as a just transition mechanism in the coal phase-out phase areas, such as Western Macedonia. So mm-hmm. what you're doing there is that you're helping set up, uh, let's say, a big solar park uh, for uh, self collective self-consumption through virtual net metering. And you, in- you ensure that local families that are, for example, uh, they lost their jobs or, you know, they're like economically affected by the coal phase out. They're included for free or at a very like low rate in this energy community so that you kind of offset the economic impact of the coal phase out by ensuring that, you know, they have a new source of revenue or a new source of, uh, yeah, savings every month. Nice. That is really interesting. And that, that strikes me to see how, how well, the trust, just transition really becomes something concrete in that way. Excellent. And um, the, sorry, just one last mm-hmm. thing that I didn't mention is that uh, we are also seeing a lot of initiatives for islands. So making islands energy self-sufficient and autonomous. Most recently, we had the inauguration of a big solar park in the island of Halki, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an island uh, in the eastern Aegean, uh, quite close to Turkey. Basically, they made a really big, I think it's a one megawatt solar park or, uh, yeah, I think so, uh, there that uh, will uh, cover the energy needs of basically most of the, um, or is it 500 megawatt? I'm sorry, I don't remember. It's, it's quite a big okay. park that it's basically going to cover the energy needs of most of the... The, the islanders? Uh, 
of the islanders yeah uh-huh. i have to, to put an asterisk on the exact capacity of the solar park because it's a small island so I, they don't need too much energy okay. but uh, the, the, the idea is there that you know you make an energy community and you ensure uh, energy autonomy and also mm-hmm. promotion of renewable energy sources because many times in islands you know they're dependent on fuel imports and very dirty diesel or mazut uh, fuel mm. Okay. Um, now we're already going to get to the last question of this interview. I, I wanted to check in with you uh, on, on what you've heard during the collaboration lab. We've, we've invited uh, Alejandro Gomez from Valencia as well, who had participated in the previous lab this spring. And Valencia is quite advanced when it comes to promoting energy communities and involving also the, really the, the local, local people in, in this movement. Is there something from his presentation or also from what you've heard from um, the people of uh, Besançon that you will take on board for your own projects? Um, actually, yeah, it was quite quite interesting listening to Alejandro because uh, the, what they want to do with uh, Valencia is the exact same model we want to do here. So as I uh, outlined before, uh, the utilization of municipal uh, rooftop uh, A bi- a building rooftops and uh, installation of solar PVs and uh, using that for uh, self-consumption of the building, but also for self-consumption through virtual net metering of other members of the community and also mm-hmm. inclusion of energy poor households. So you have these three aspects, these three elements there in the business model. And it was so interesting to hear them wanting to do the exact same thing that we want to do, <laughs> because then this speaks back to I guess that this model just makes sense. You know, it's something that we can and we should be using, especially in, in Southern Europe when there's like such um, high levels of uh, solar potential, solar generation potential. Thank you very much for sharing your vision and experience on citizen energy, um, Chris, and for drawing also the picture of, of the Greek renewables landscape. I think that's particularly interesting for listeners who are not from Greece. And what Electra Energy and Iliopoli will do together is really important, not only for increasing the, the renewables share in the country, but definitely also for creating really strong and, and solidary local communities. You mentioned the social dimension. Uh, which which is super important and even more in in areas where there might have been um, more this fossil fuel culture before and where a transition is needed. So, Chris, it's been a pleasure to have you on City Stories. Thank you very much. No, thank you as well. And I will just add one uh, tiny last thing, which is, I, I think, actually quite important and I forgot to mention, is that now, what we're seeing now with the high levels of uh, uh, market fluctuations in energy prices, uh, by participating in an energy community, it, it is like you're shielding yourself from mm-hmm. these uh, kind of external forces that you have no control over. Like, let's say, you know, what are the geopolitics of fossil gas and how are these affecting uh, uh, market prices? So, yeah, you become a prosumer and you ensure that, you know, you're, you build this kind of relative independence, this relative resilience. Yeah. This is so important now that energy prices are rising and we're seeing energy poverty all across Europe. So, yeah, just that one last thing that I wanted to say, I think it's, it's quite important and pertinent at the moment. Um, thanks a lot as well from my side. I'm very excited to, um, yeah, to be... Uh, implementing this project and hopefully uh, we'll be seeing the concrete practical implementation over the next few months um yeah thanks for creating this space you're welcome uh, and we're we're looking forward to hearing more about your project and how it will advance good luck on your journey thanks chris bye-bye
Thank you. Bye-bye. And for our listeners, tell us what you think about this episode about Greek energy communities by commenting on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes or YouTube. And if you liked this episode, please tell other people about us and share it with your friends and partners. This episode and the before-mentioned Collaboration Lab were made possible thanks to funding from the European Climate Foundation. The European Climate Foundation is an international non-profit organization and its great team promotes climate and energy policies all over Europe. In 2019, the foundation launched its Energy Democracy Program, which focuses on the support of community energy projects both at the EU and at national levels. Check out their website, europeanclimate.org, europeanclimate.org.